So we all could go home, eat lunch, but anytime you give a pastor a microphone and a Bible, well, <laughs> settle in for an hour, right? Okay. <laughs> let's go to the Lord, and I know we've been praying a lot, but let's uh, just pray one more time. And, and I invite you, actually, before that, on the back of the pews, there are Bibles. Um, take, take them out. And if you have a Bible with you, great. Uh, if you want to use your phone, you know, sure. Don't surf the net, obviously. Uh, but I'm going to look at the book of, of Isaiah, and there's the, the page number we'll put up on the screen for you uh, in just a moment. But uh, let's, before we open up God's Word, let's, let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, I thank you again for a time and a day such as this to worship you, to celebrate uh, your sacraments, to see your presence work in this place and in the lives of the folks that are here and in my family. And I just Pray now that you would continue to um, move uh, amongst us here today. Open our hearts to hear your truth. Uh, for those of us who may not know it, that we would, uh, that we would come to your feet and, and bow and proclaim you as Lord. And for those of us who do know it, that our eyes would be open to maybe deeper ideas and deeper truths, uh, things that we've never heard before. But in all things, we give you all the praise, glory, and honor today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, Isaiah 40, 28 through 31, page 713 in, in, those, uh, in those Bibles there. If you remember, last week I opened up with a, a reading from the Old Testament from the book of Ezekiel, the famous passage of dry bones, and you may have even sung the song before, them bones, them, that, that kind of thing. And we talked about it, about uh, what it means to be called, and that, that Ezekiel prophesies over this valley of dry bones, the word of the Lord goes out, and they come together, bone on bone, muscles, and all all of the things, and, and there they stand, and the thing that's needed for them in order to be an exceedingly mighty army for the Lord was not just that call, but it was the breath of God himself coming into them and breathing into them and having them receive life. Last week, we talked about what it meant to be called as, as followers of Jesus Christ, and I left you with a little bit of a tease that next week, today, we'd be talking about how this all works and that it all doesn't rely on our shoulders, that the Lord gives us a power, a sense of empowerment to live out that call. And so let's look at the, the, the book of Isaiah, the prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 28 to 31, about what it means to receive the Lord's power. Now, I like, I love this, this, one of the, the, this passage in Isaiah, um, and my dad loves it also. It's in our homes because it mentions the word eagle in it, and him being a Philadelphia Eagles fan, I think he thinks that that means God is an Eagles fan because that is in here, and, and that's just the way we were brought up. So that's the way that's supposed to go, but let's talk about what Isaiah says here. He says in verse 20, Have you not known and have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. He is understanding. He is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is a, um, 
a wonderful prophecy, a great poem uh, that Isaiah is issuing out over the exiled Israel. And, and, and if you have to understand that, if you remember from the Old Testament, they, they were exiled, they were scattered, and they were, uh, just imagine their fears and, and the chaos and the doubts that they had, that they, uh, that they who disobeyed the God, God kind of handed them over to the false gods, to the false things that they were worshiping. Imagine being in a place like that. And so Isaiah calls out to them in this great poem, this great poem of strength, and he reminds them, as all the prophets do, to remind the scattered, to remind God's chosen of who they are and who God is. And he says to them, have you not known, have you not heard, and reminds them that God is the God who, who called them out of Egypt, who led them through the wilderness, who endured all their doubt and disobedience. But he did not change. See, we change. We change. We grow distant from God. We choose to say, ah, no, I am okay, and, and we get tired of waiting on him. Have you ever been in that place? Have you ever been in that valley where you're just tired, tired of waiting on God? You've prayed for healings. You've prayed for sicknesses to be cured. You've prayed for relationships to be healed. You've prayed for things to happen, and it just doesn't. And so finally, you look up, and you say, you know what? I, I don't want to buy what you're selling anymore. I don't, I don't need you. You go about it on your own sense of power and your own sense of way. It's a very dry bones place to be. And yet, I'm sure if all of us were honest, we have, we have found ourselves, and maybe even today, you're in that place. Of God, I, I, don't, I don't really need you. But then this poem and this prophecy from Isaiah, a profound reminder and assurance that in spite of all of that, that their God will always be their God because his character does not change. He will always be their God. He will always draw near if we draw near to him. And it's, Isaiah says here that those who hope and wait upon him, that word wait, to, to tarry with, to be with, to abide with, those who stay with God will renew their strength. They will find his power. They will find his strength and they shall be renewed. There is an exchange in the language of this prophecy between those who are waiting and receiving his power. It is connected to each other. You're not going to find it on your own. You're going to find it in waiting on and keeping with the Lord. And so then that power comes, and that power comes, as Isaiah says, that may mount you up on wings of eagles to do extraordinarily awesome things. It may be a power to allow you to run the race with great endurance, to not grow faint. But more importantly so, and probably more often so, it is a power that allows you to walk continually each day and not grow faint, not be weary. Sometimes that is the most power that we need is to wake up each and every day and take a step. Take a step out into this world, into the days that we are living with full faith that we are going to follow and keep with and abide with God. So now we are in this worship series today to talk about empowerment, but more importantly, to talk about who does Christ, who does God say I am if I profess a faith in him? 
We're basing it off of, and if you've been here from week to week, you've heard, we're basing it off of the conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, hey, who, what, what's the word on the street? Who do people say I am? Who do you say I am? And they all kind of try. They throw darts at the board. They kind of miss it. And then Peter, out of nowhere, revealed to him by God, as Jesus said, says, you are the Christ. And so we want to ask, if we have done the same thing by God's will and design, have said, Jesus, you are the Christ, you are my Savior, have humbled ourselves to him, have received him as such, what does that mean? Who do you now say that we are? And so far, we've talked about a lot of things. So far, we've looked at that what, what Jesus says, what the Scriptures say, what God says we are, is that, that we are known before he even uttered, let there be light. That he knew us, that he knew that the hairs on our heads, he knew the appointed time that we were going to be here, he knew the gifts, he knew the, everything that was going to happen for our appointed time on this place, he knew it. And then we talked about how he created us, created us in his image, as Carrie talked about, and how awesome that is, and so that we'd be reflections of him. And then obviously something went drastically wrong, and we separated, we broke from him. We tried to be God. And we fell, and therefore, all of us now in this perpetual relationship with God of trying to be Him, of saying to Him, I don't need Him, of doing things on our own power, that's where we find ourselves. But then God sends His Son, Jesus, to take on the punishment of all of those those infractions, all that have happened and all that will happen, and says, if you place your faith in me, you receive this redemption, and so we are redeemed Who does God say we are? We are redeemed by the bloodshed of Jesus Christ, that the punishment of our sin was laid upon him, and that we are no longer looked at as these awful folks, but he sees Jesus when we stand before him. And that we are a new creation. The old self is gone. We don't have to give the old self any more power. We have the new self. We have a new creation. We can live as newly created people who believe in Jesus. And that because of that, he calls us children of God, and we can call him Abba, Father. And then last week, I said, we are called. He calls you by name into this relationship, and more so than just salvation, but also calls you to live a life worthy of the call, to not just stay there on the sidelines as one who is saved, but to go out into this world as one who has been divinely summoned. If you remember, I said, when you get a summons in the mail, you have to appear. And so he calls you by name into that relationship, but then also to live it. And I said to you all this, after I went over the parable of the great banquet, and I said that, remember, the parable of the great banquet, there were the invited, those who were called, who'd said, so sorry, can't make it. And so the master tells the servant to go out and just find all the least of these, bring people to this table so that they can, they can enjoy it and they can experience it. And I said that, remember this, being called and not being called and being called and not answering what he wants us to do are the same things. Not being called and being called but not living that life worthy of the call are the same things. It is more than just a status, but it is a mission. It is a way of life to go out and live as reflections of the image of the Lord. And I said, but this is not on your shoulders, all on your own, to do this 
I said that you won't be able to do it. And that brings us to today. Who does Christ say I am? He calls me empowered. Because of the things that are a part of living the life worthy of that call, those things are a tall order. Those things are things that are hard to do. Those things are hard to do in the midst of any valleys that we may be in. Those things are are just crazy to think about, and yet they are the things that, that we are called to live out and to do. So how do we do it? You are empowered. And not only empowered, you are empowered to be like Christ and to faithfully walk the walk continually each and every day. So what, what on earth does all that mean? What does it mean to be empowered? What does it mean to be called empowered? Does it mean that if, if I say that, if Christ says that I'm empowered, does it mean that I'm going to get these Jesus muscles that I can go out? You remember the scriptures where it says, faith as small as a mustard seed can move a mountain? Does that mean, can I go to the Appalachians and the Rockies and just start pushing things and just seeing things happening? Does it mean that I'm going to be able to do all these miracles? I've tried the water to wind things out of weddings. It doesn't work. <laughs> what does it mean to be empowered? great, awesome, eagle-soaring things, or maybe it's something else. Maybe it's both. So what does it mean to be empowered? To do that, I want to go and I want to look at the, the Apostle Paul to help us with understanding what empowered means and why Paul. What makes Paul so special? Because Paul wasn't all that special to begin with. You may have heard this story before. Paul was Saul, and Saul was a bad dude. He was a Pharisee who had all the power in the world to make people's lives, make Christ followers' lives absolutely miserable, to end them, to imprison them, and that's what he actively did. He actively went after Christ followers to silence them. He got all the power from all the wrong places. And then what happens? As he's going on this journey, God renders him powerless. He drains that from him and makes him blind. And not only does he drain the power and make him blind, he says, hey, I want you to go to a place, to a person in whom you are actively persecuting and killing and go rely on him. And Paul's like, I think that's a bad idea. And the person that that was told, hey, Paul's coming to you, that person was like, Jesus, are you sure? Let's do a recount. Do you know who this guy is? But it happens. And he comes, and he's there. And like blinds that fall, his eyes are open. And Paul receives who Jesus is. His eyes are open to the mysteries of what is happening, and he begins to put it all together, and he receives a call in his life to not only just go and tell who Jesus is, but go and tell other nations, non-Jews, who Jesus is so that they can receive the same reward as the Jews who proclaim Jesus as Christ. If you don't understand how monumental that is, Paul was like, you know, an Uber Jew, and that was unheard of. Gentiles, other nations, ick. And he is told to go and get them. Other people haven't answered the call. Now go out and get the least of these and bring them here. And Paul does that and does that in extraordinary ways, in ways that blow your mind because there's no way that he could do this on his own. In fact, Paul himself even says that in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. He says this, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. My power is made perfect in your weakness. 
Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I don't know if you are like me when I read something like that, that the Bible tells me that I have to be content with my weaknesses. I want to promptly shut it and say, that obviously doesn't apply to me. I don't want to be content in my weaknesses. I have to come, come face to face with what they are. I'd much rather just bury that off to the side and keep on keeping on. But Paul says, oh, no, 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 no. It's because of those weaknesses that we, we witness how great a power Jesus is. That in spite of those weaknesses, Jesus is still going to work through you and do crazy awesome things. So I look at now, I look at Ephesians chapter 3. If you want to look there, I think it's page 1160, 1161. There is this phenomenal prayer that is here in chapter 3 that talks about what I just said about where power comes from and why it's coming. What does it mean to be in power? Now, you remember last week we were in chapter 4, and the start of chapter 4 says, therefore, live a life worthy as your call, to go out there and live that life. And he gives a laundry list of things that we are supposed to do to live a life that is worthy of that call, and a lot of things that we are not supposed to do, to stay away from people who do evil things, do not get into the company of them, avoid all of those things of destruction and debauchery, because those things are going to drain the power from you. So don't do that, Paul says. Actually do the opposite. Love one another in such a way with great humility and submission. Do those things with gentleness and with joy. Those are hard things to do. Have you ever met a person that is unlovable? Yes. Have you ever met someone who is difficult? Yes. And it's so easy to kind of bury that and not address it. But Paul is saying, oh, no, 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 no. Live a life worthy of the called. You, You go and do those things despite of what kind of persecution you may get, what much calamity may fall on you, you go and you do do that. And so where does that power come to do that tall order stuff, that Jesus type stuff? Paul prays in chapter 3, verse 14. I bow my knees before the Father. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. We begin to see the curtain pull back of how this is all going to work. Jesus told his disciples, greater things you will do, basically in my absence, because I'm going to send this Holy Spirit to you. Well, how is this going to work? Is the Holy Spirit going to be next to me? It's called my friend and counselor, so am I going to see this like spectral thing next to me? No, what Paul is saying is that in your inner being, inside of you, oh, dry bones, live. The breath has been blown inside of us. 
And that's where the Spirit is. And if the Spirit is inside of us, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or to think, him who is able to do crazy things that we are not even thinking of, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Strengthen our inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Look at the connection of those two things. The spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell inside your hearts. How many of you came to faith as a child? You can raise your hand if you want. But when you came to faith as a child, what typically was told to you in terms of how this happens? All you need to do is invite Jesus into your Heart, right. I can ask Clara, where does Jesus live? And she, because she's a good pastor's child, would say, in my heart. Oh, good job. You get a pony and a car that your grandparents are going to pay for. All right. That's a thing, right? That's how we teach, that Christ would come into your hearts and, 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 and dwell there. So I looked at that word dwell here in Ephesians, and I got all excited. I got all excited with all my Greek knowledge. And I thought, oh, fantastic. There's a word dwell here. I know in the Gospel of John, one of my favorite Gospels, it says the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. I'm going to be able to connect these two together. There will be conversions and everyone's going to be great, right? And then I looked at the Greek and they are actually two different words. Dang, right? In the Gospel of John, that word dwelt has tabernacle implications. God's presence in the midst of his people implications. John wants you to see that and see that connection with Jesus, really connecting it to that Old Testament kind of stuff. But Paul, using this word dwelt, means to make yourself at home. There's a deeper intimacy there with this word. How many of you, when you go back home to your parents, or if you don't have a good relationship with your parents, maybe it's a, a friend, uh, a loved one, someone who you have a, a close, intimate relationship, when you go to their home, what typically happens? If you're like me, we uh, actually, in my parents' old house, not the newer one, the older house, we would always enter through the side door. You wouldn't enter through the front door, right? You go through the side door. There's a side entrance. At my, our mother, or my mother and father-in-law's house, it's a side entrance. That took me two years into marriage of being comfortable to go in. That's just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Finally, Patty was like, you can go through the side entrance. Like, it's fine. Because there's that intimacy there. It's not so formal. There's a relationship, a place of belonging there. Let me put it this way. With this idea to be for Christ to dwell, to make himself at home, he's an open fridge door person in your life. When I go to my parents' house, when I go to my grandparents' house, I say hello, I give them my kids to entertain, I walk to the kitchen, and what happens? You open the fridge door without any permission. You open it up. You see to-go containers with Cool Whip on it. There's not Cool Whip in there. <laughs> you open that door because there is that sense of intimacy and belonging and permission. Because I belong here. I have a place here. 
When my mother-in-law and my mother come to our house, they can open up our fridge door too. In fact, we want them to do that because they'll clean it. Christ dwells in our hearts. He's an open fridge door person. Imagine what that feels like, that he has a place and a belonging, that he has authority over your life, that he can weigh in, that he can talk, that he can do all And so what Paul says is that this is all connected to how we receive this power from the Holy Spirit, that you have the Spirit in your inner being so that Christ can dwell in there, so that that means that you're grounded and rooted in his love, which also means you can comprehend the things that he's telling you to do. Remember, the Holy Spirit teaches and convicts us the truths of Jesus. All of this stuff is happening together so that you can be full in God and that he can do immeasurably more within you that will completely blow your mind. So it's not on your shoulders to live a life worthy of the call. If it was on your shoulders, we would wholly fail. But to live a life worthy of the call, to live that out as image bearers so that people will know who Jesus is, it comes from Christ dwelling inside our hearts. And not only dwelling inside our hearts, but conforming us and transforming us into his likeness so that when people see us and hear us talk and interact, they see him in spite of your weaknesses and in spite of your shortcomings. Thanks be to God. You are empowered to first and foremost be like Christ and then to faithfully walk the walk continually each and every day. And that's what brings me to Ephesians 5. As I was talking with Jerry about this message, Jerry's like, this is great, but so what? You know, he's a great mentor. He's like, you know, this is fantastic. So we can talk about how Jesus dwells in our hearts and have all the warm, fuzzy feelings and think, oh, this is a great message. Thank you. And this is wonderful. But what does it mean? How does this show up? How do we live this out in the way that we are called to do? So Paul says in Ephesians 5, he says this, He says, okay then, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and we walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You want to know how to walk the walk? You want to know how to live a life that is empowered, that that is driven by God? Well, then just try to imitate him. Do the things that we are telling you to do. Don't do them all at once. That's going to be hard to do, right? You know, maybe just pick one and, and, and try it out. Maybe you have a neighbor that you don't like who reported you because your fence was too broken. Maybe you go to them. Y'all remember that? That's extra credit. Maybe you go to them and be Christ to them and have that conversation. Maybe it's someone in your home, a family member. Maybe it's, 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 it's a broken relationship and you just want to say, no, forget it. Remember the life worthy. Be imitators of God. Christ loved the unlovable. He went and touched the lepers. He went and did those things. So you go and you do that. And, and expect him to show up. And that it's not on you to be successful. It's only on you just to walk. And he will do immeasurably more than you can ever, ever think of. Us being empowered by God is not us having these great Jesus muscles But sure, sure, maybe, maybe we can see miraculous things and maybe we can see eagle soaring things. And maybe there's times in our life where we're running a race and we get that extra endurance. But most often it's the insignificant things that he does immeasurably more with. It's the simple conversations, the let me pray with you 
the come with me kind of things. But he does immeasurably more with. I think of Andrew in the Bible. You all know who Andrew is? Anyone know who Andrew is? Disciple? Raise your hand if you know who Andrew is. Couple. Great. Well, that's great because he only gets, he only gets a couple mentions in there. Andrew was the brother of Peter. Andrew brings Peter to Jesus. Peter, I, I have met, I've met someone. You got to come. You got to come and, and, and meet this person. You got to come and meet who this person is. And so Peter comes. And I don't know if Peter's older than Andrew, but he sure does act like it. So like a typical older sibling, he comes. He's like, Andrew, I got it. And now he's the all-star. But that's typically how it happens. And then we move on in our journey. And where does Andrew pop up next? Does anyone know? Kevin knows he's not in his head because I probably stole it from one of his messages. Andrew shows up at the feeding of the 5,000. And he says, I, I, I have this young, young boy here who's got a lunch pail, some fishes, and some loaves. Will this work? And Jesus does immeasurably more with those, that insignificant thing. So being empowered doesn't mean that you've got to be the great somebody. Being empowered just means you just be like Christ and you walk faithfully each and every day knowing that he is going to do immeasurably more with what your actions are than you could ever, ever think of. He's going to do immeasurably more with even your weakest actions that you could ever, ever think of. But the call is to live a life worthy of that and walk in the ways each and every day as Christ would to your best effort. You are empowered to be like Christ, to faithfully walk each and every day. Those who wait upon the Lord, those who have Christ as an open fridge door person in their lives will receive that power and that strength to blow your minds as you walk and as you go. Yesterday, we had a memorial for Jack Watson, pastor emeritus of this church. He was the pastor for 30 year, 33 years, just like Jesus. And Jerry shared this story of his first encounter with him where he noticed that Jack's shoes had holes in them, were worn out and had holes. And it was such a great image that just blew me away in preparation for this message of talking about walking continually each and every day. May you walk so that your shoes become holy, that you take each and every day in faith, doing the seemingly insignificant things, praying for that person, having that conversation, maybe even just you just having a conversation with God, but continually doing that so that your shoes become holy. For if we do that, if we wait upon the Lord and receive the strength to do that, we may soar with the eagles, we may run with great endurance and joy, but most importantly, we will walk continually each and every day and not grow faint, for his power comes in our weaknesses, and he will do immeasurably more. Let's pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, thank you that it is not on our shoulders because we try so often to put, that, put it on our shoulders. 
We hold ourselves to a standard of, uh, of excellence and success that may not be the thing that you're actually calling us to do. So open our eyes and ears to hear you as you dwell richly inside of us. And for those of us in here who may not have you dwelling richly inside of us, may they hear you call their name and come to life knowing the great love and the great compassion that you have for them, knowing that they don't have to be perfect in order to be in a relationship with you. May we trust and rely and walk daily waiting upon you and receiving your power and strength to do crazy awesome things, be they monumental or insignificant. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. We are blessed, we are called, we are healed and made whole, saved in the name of of Jesus Christ. You are highly favored, anointed, and filled with his power for the glory of Jesus' name. So therefore, go out there and spread that news. Spread that news as empowered ones, as divinely summoned ones, as image bearers of Jesus Christ, so that when folks see you and hear you talk and hear of the joy that you have, they will know Jesus. Go in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people's name said, Amen.